Hello and welcome to another edition of Christian Deep Dive. Today we're going to talk about a subject that's dear to my heart simply because I've seen a lot of confusion over the years and that's why the title of today's is Clearing Up Conversion Confusion. Uh, there's a lot of things being said today and really has been for the past few years, really the past hundred years as uh, different methods of evangelism have gone out. And some have been spot on and some have been really lukewarm and uh, didn't really get to the point. And that's why there's been confusion. You see, there's a lot of evangelists out there that when they're talking about coming to Christ, um, they talk about, uh, you know, how good it is to be a Christian, what a wonderful life you'll have, uh, your best life now, whatever you want to call it. But there's no mention of repentance or sin. And that doesn't line up with what the Bible says. When I was a young Christian, I used to see people handing out tracts where it basically said, it had Romans 10.9 on there. It said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So <clears throat> the plan was just to get numbers, sign this tract, sign this thing, and... Uh, you know, you will be saved if you sign this because it says if you confess it, you know, and then, so I knew some people that used to actually do this and they would listen and they would say, well, I don't want to go to hell. That makes sense. If there is a God or if this thing about Jesus is real, I guess this will, this will be my insurance. I'll sign it. They'd stick it in their back pocket and then they would go about uh, living whatever life they want to live, deluding themselves into that they had a real gospel saving experience actually witnessed this kind of thing. Of course, back then I was too young and naive to know what to do about it or how to speak out against it. But I used to wonder why, you know, it made me think that people could lose their salvation. I would see people that supposedly uh, came to Christ or were saved, and then you'd see them fall away or be totally go back the way they were or totally be the way they were, never even change at all. And I'd say, wow, looks like you, you can lose it. And I've come to realize over the years that it's not so much that you can lose it, it's that you never had it to begin with. And so that's why I wanted to talk about that today and talk about clearing up this confusion that seems to be going on. And so I want to start out by saying, asking a question, did we choose God or does God choose us? <clears throat> and the answer is God chooses us first and then we follow him. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 6, he said, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. There's a lot of scriptures like this. I could spend a lot of time just rattling these off, but think about that. Jesus is the one saying this. <clears throat> no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. You see, God is in the driver's seat. Anyone who receives <clears throat> Christ as their personal Savior has nothing to boast about because they've already been tapped on the shoulder by God spiritually and said, follow me. <clears throat> this is not new. This gets into, a lot of people don't like this, this gets into the doctrine of election. But there's all through history of the Bible, you see it. For example, Israel was elected as God's chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and Isaiah 45, 5, if you care to look it up. God divinely chose great men of the Old Testament, such as Isaac, Genesis 21, 12, 
Abraham, Nehemiah 9, 7, and many other scriptures, in the New Testament testifies to God's choose, sovereign choosing. <clears throat> the apostles, certainly, if you just study how Jesus went up to each one of these people first and said, follow me, all right, and certainly the apostle Paul, the guy who's going around uh, persecuting Christians like no one's business, and he's all of a sudden hit on the Damascus road, falls off his horse, and is totally chosen by God, told him, basically told, here's what you're going to do. The Bible says he chose us before the foundation of the world. Believers were predestined according to his purpose, who works out all things after the counsel of his will. And that's from Ephesians 1.11. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Ephesians 1.4-5. And here's the big one, Romans 8.28-29. Um, I've actually been places where... <coughs> Um, pastors or teachers said we're going through the book of Romans and then they'll skip over basically this part of Romans 8 and almost all of Romans 9 because all it does is talk about God's sovereignty all it does is talk about God's purpose and election listen to this Romans 8 28 29 and whom he predestined those he also called and whom he called those he also justified and whom he justified those he also glorified and again, as I said in Romans 9, <clears throat> it's never more clear than there. Paul tells his readers in that that God chose jo Jacob over his twin brother Esau, even though the twins had not yet been born, had not done anything good and bad, good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's from Romans 9.11. Paul basically also claims the sovereignty of God in verses 15 and 16 when he said to Moses regarding Pharaoh and that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion so it does not depend on the man who wills and who runs but God who has mercy Peter wrote that believers are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father so again I could go on and on but the purpose is really of this that's kind of a little bit of a preamble because I want to talk about today the confusion that comes up because you might be sitting there and saying well wait was my conversion real well it's good to examine yourself the Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith and I guess what I want to what I want to discuss is some of the modern-day uh, evangelists as I started out with a lot of times when you go to a and again God bless the people that are doing this. I'm not in, in any way, you know, the people that are going around doing tent evangelism or big evangelism in stadiums and things like that. You know, if if their heart is after God and to really call the elect home to put out the the gospel message, God bless them. I think the only ones, uh, the, the only thing I wanted you to be careful about is there's a lot of people that are at these things that get pressured to go forward at the end. A lot of times the evangelist will say, who wants to make a decision for Christ? And a lot of times, now, if you're really cut to the heart and you're grieved that you're sinned, you're grieved that you've been the way you are and you realize you need Jesus as your Savior and you walked forward because of that, then to me that's something that's real. What's not real is when you're there as a teenager and your parents, you know, glare at you and say, you need to go forward. You know, you need to do this. You know, you need to 
And I've heard testimonies after testimonies of a lot of people that were forced down the aisle, either by friends, family, or this or that. I saw a statistic one time that said only 10% of people that go forward at these things are genuinely converted. Why? Because sometimes it can be an emotional experience only. Sometimes it's simply because, like I said earlier, the people that say, well, if hell's real, I don't want that. I guess I'll go down and, and make a decision for that. And, and then that way, if I stand before God someday, I can say, well, yeah, I accepted. That's got nothing to do with true uh, lordship of Jesus or salvation or anything else. Remember, the fact that as a Christian, you don't go to hell, that's not the prime reason to get saved. That's a, I'll call it a retirement benefit. Jesus calls you because he wants you, because he loves you, because he wants you. He, he has purpose for you in this life and the next. And that's something really to get excited about. So it's not so much you make a decision for Christ. He makes a decision for you. The Holy Spirit works on your heart and draws you, no matter where you are, if it's one-on-one -on -one or if it's at a crusade or if it's at a church service, uh, anywhere where the gospel is truly, and I emphasize truly, being preached. So let's look at an example. One of the first sermons ever preached was after Pentecost when Peter received the Holy Spirit. And what did he say? He did this long sermon where he went through the history uh, of, of some of the, what, what uh, Israel had done, what, what uh, the Jews had done to some of the pe previous folks. And he ends up in verse 36 saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, here's the important part. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are afar off, that's us, we weren't living at that time, but here's the important part, as many as our Lord our God will call. Again, there's that, he's calling us first and we respond. But see, that's the thing, the key, the key here is, they were cut to the heart. In other words, the Holy Spirit touched them in such a way that they were grieved at their sin, they were, they, they were in a state of repenting. What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized. And again, <clears throat> that's proof of that you have done something. Remember, now we get, baptism is very important. It's an outward sign of what's happened inside. And today, <clears throat> you know, we do it inside a church or where there's just believers, your family watching and stuff. And that's important. But back then, to be baptized, man, that was something because it was outside. Remember, Judaism was the big religion of the day. To switch off of Judaism and become a Christian meant you know, you'd be cut off from your family and all sorts of things. So to be baptized outside in the name of Jesus was a big deal. So Peter said, repent and let everyone you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The problem with some of today's evangelical preaching is what I said earlier. It doesn't mention repentance. doesn't mention sin. It basically says, come to Christ so that all your problems are solved and you get to go to heaven. And that is going to lead to a false conversion because that's not what this is all about. That's what the example is here. Now, what about the other scripture that says, well, wait a minute. What about Romans 10, 9? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has saved them from the dead, you will be saved. 
that scripture is accurate. But too often people concentrate or preachers or teachers because they're looking for numbers. They just concentrate on the first part. Confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus. I've actually heard people say that. They've come and they've, I've heard them say, you just got to confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. Well, that's intellectual. What about the second part? Believe in your heart. When you believe something in your heart, it motivates you to action. If you just believe something intellectually, that's not always true. It's just, eh, I can make an assent to that. Oh, okay, I understand the argument. Oh, okay, I get it. But when you believe in your heart, that's when there is a change. That's when things change for good, for the better. And so that's really an important thing to consider that you believe with your heart. You want to know what the difference is between a fake and a real conversion? It's when you believe with your heart. It means all of a sudden the fact that you've got these sinful tendencies in you and that it makes you mad, it makes you upset. You might still have those desires, you might still have those tendencies, but it bugs you. You don't want to. That's what repentance means. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart. And you want to be justified in the Lord Jesus because he took your sin, he died for it, he took the penalty, and you want to enter that path of sanctification where for the rest of your life the Holy Spirit's working on you to change you, to mold you into the image of Christ. And finally, when we die and get to heaven, we're glorified and we'll never be trailed by that stuff again. That's what you're looking for. That's what you want. And going to heaven is, like I said, it's a great, wonderful retirement benefit, but it's not the sole purpose of coming to Christ and being saved. I want to look at uh, something people don't often associate with anything to do with evangelism, but let's look at the uh, thief on the cross. Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's happening here? You've got two thieves. One, again, who just wants to be, you know, saved from this death and all that kind of thing. He's thinking just of himself, you know, save yourself and us. He's yelling, kind of, you know, yelling at him. Just, you know, if, if you're who you said you are, then then do something. But the other one, you know, I think the Holy Spirit touched him sovereignly. His eyes are opened, who Jesus really was. And he didn't look at Jesus and say, guess what, Jesus? You know what? I've made a decision for you. I've received you. You know? No, he puts it where it belongs in God's hands. He says, Jesus, remember me. He puts the ball totally in Jesus's court. He comes to him. He's cut to the heart, so to speak. Uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he's and Jesus said when he was talking to the apostles, anyone that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. So he's coming to him humbly in repentance. And the other thief was just trying to get some fire insurance or try to get saved from the cross. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. A very important thing to consider. I was recent, reading recently about uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s, where he was preaching on a message similar to this. 
And of course, man, that church, they used to get 1,500 people or so at this huge London uh, church he used to preach at. And <clears throat> there's a couple people that came up to him afterwards and they said, they were cut to the heart. They said, we want to follow the Lord. We want to be filled. What if we're not one of the chosen? What if we're not one of the elect? And they had tears in their eyes and they, they were just scared to death that they weren't sovereignly called by God, that they didn't have the Holy Spirit touching their heart. And Charles Spurgeon kind of laughed and said, well, of course you are. Look at the way you are. You are coming in humble repentance. You want the Lord Jesus for who he is. You want to follow him as Lord. You desperately want him. Of course that call is on your life. Look at your attitude, you know. And so I give you that as words of comfort out there because if you're someone, I don't know what your history is, how long ago it was, you might have said the sinner's prayer 15,000 times like I probably did early in my Christian walk. Um, if you have a heart for the Lord and you desperately want to get rid of your sin, you're disgusted with yourself that you still have certain tendencies, you can't wait till someday you're glorified and you don't have that stuff anymore, um, believe me, you are someone that's one of God's people because he touched your heart and you've come to him. Spurgeon also had a couple of people that came up to him after the sermon and said, well, that's not fair. We don't think this is right, that God is sovereign and he draws people to himself. And Spurgeon says, well, I can show you a whole lot more scriptures that say that. And uh, they said, well, it's not fair. And Spurgeon said to them, do you want to be called? Do you want to be one of God's chosen? Do you want to follow him? And they said, absolutely not. But we just don't think it's fair. And they said, well, you're, uh, you're fine. Now. You're, you, uh, you don't want to be called, then you're not. You know, there's just uh, the gospel goes out to everyone, to whosoever will come. But it seems that it's only God's spirit, even faith. Faith is even a gift from God. Our faith, the faith that you have, the faith that you have right now, even that, if you really are honest with yourself, is a gift from God. And I'll close the way I started by saying that faith is God's gracious gift to you. Jesus said himself, I started this with the scripture, no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. This should cause the greatest humility. Instead of being proud and boastful of this, uh, when I clearly understood this for the first time, I was just so thankful and so grateful to God saying, oh Lord, why me? Why did you choose me instead of other, you know, why, you know, why this, why that? And I'm just so grateful. And so now the prayers for the lost are, Lord, touch their hearts that they're drawn to you. Touch the heart of the lost that they want to respond to you. Let there not be any fake conversions. Let them, as, the, as, Pete, as um, Peter said when he preached, and the response was they were cut to the heart. Uh, let people be cut to the heart. That's what we have to hope for when we pray for our lost loved ones or friends or whoever you're praying for, whoever you want to be touched. God sovereignly touches them and they're drawn. And they're drawn not for selfish motives, but because they really want to be part of God's family. They really want to be part of God's elect. And I have other, um, in, the, in my blog, my uh, podcast here, there's other uh, things here that deal somewhat with this subject, but I wanted to get into this conversion thing because it is such an important thing to talk about. If you're truly converted, if you're truly following Christ, if you've truly examined yourself and say, yes, I want Jesus with all my heart and I want to be his, um, then you've got a true conversion experience and you have a wonderful thing to look forward to in this life and certainly the next. But if you're somebody that just sought out fire insurance, if you simply are somebody that wants to live your life any way you want to on this earth, 
and hope you still get to heaven because you signed some piece of paper way back when, then you need to re-examine yourself and you need to get along with God and you need to ask the Holy Spirit to touch you and draw you because the conversion is not real. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. I hope you have a blessed day. And once again, <coughs> this is Dan Moynihan with Christian Deep Dive. God bless you.